welcome to the Raptor Show on the Sports and Radio Network. Make sure you find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe and please rate and review the show. Reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360, Monday to Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. I'm your host, Wim Lou. We'll be joined in the second segment by producer and co-host Alex Wong and we'll be joined on the line shortly by coach David Thorpe of True Hoop, obviously a friend of this program uh, as, uh, you know, loyal listeners to this show know. Um, obviously, we bring on David um, for his insight um, just into the league, but also specifically on the Raptors. But um, he, he was in a bit of a, a pickle um, uh, over the weekend, I think, because I think uh, after that Utah game, there's definitely plenty of angst, um, as there would be when you blow a 12-point lead in the last five, six minutes of the game. And, um, you know, um, there was a lot of focus at that time on the coaching aspect. And, of course, that's something that I covered in the uh, postgame show as well. Um, and it just so happened that people really stumbled upon um, the True Who podcast at that time where on, I believe, Thursday's episode, after the trade deadline, they dropped a double podcast, uh, you know, um, where they where, where David talked about um, his thoughts on where the Toronto Raptors are and sort of their surprising lack of activity at the deadline. Um, we, I, th- I believe we have the clip here of what, uh, what, what David said in regards to Toronto in terms of not just changing the roster, but potentially looking elsewhere as well in the coaching department. And I, I thought Nick Nurse was amazing in 2019. I wrote an article about it. They got their pop. I was wrong. He's not, he's not pop. He rubs a lot of people the wrong way. He's a weird dude. This is a quote from people I've talked to there. Uh, which is okay. There's not, he's not the only weird coach out there. That's for sure. A lot sure. of weird coaches. Um, and uh, but it's it's not working. So now let's now I'd fire him right now, and I I bring in Earl Watson, who's who's a tough guy, and start holding some of these guys accountable. Get Fred in line. Get OG in line. Hey, if you don't like it this way, we'll trade you in the offseason. We'll, hopefully, we'll get a better deal. Uh, and then if Earl sucks, which he might, then go then go find the guy you want to bring in after that with some really good players that they have. Okay, so yeah, joining me to to discuss that and other topics with the Raptors is uh, David Thorpe. Coach, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So um, yeah, I mean, look, listen, this is this has been a weird season for the Raptors. I don't think anyone expected it to go this way. Um, and I know you were enthusiastic about the Raptors. I was as well. Um, I, I guess in the deadline, you know, them adding was a surprise just because of the fact that they were many games under 500. Um, but clearly there's still a belief in this roster. But yeah, you know, I, I think people really picked up on those comments I saw go around a lot uh, in, in the Raptor circles that I'm in. And so, Coach, I, I just wanted to give you a chance to sort of expand on, on those thoughts and sort of like um, why we would want to make that kind of decision. Thank you for giving me the opportunity because I don't, I don't know that the context carried. Okay. I, I, I was not and am not saying Nick Nurse should be fired. Uh, my suggestion was... If you're going, this is before the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. If you're mm-hmm. going to get rid of, I don't know, OG, I don't know, Pascal Siakam, uh, Fred Van Vliet, uh, whatever else they were looking to do, before you do that, my suggestion was you change coaches. And and the example I gave was the Utah Jazz who fired Quinn Snyder and then also ripped apart what was the best team in the league two seasons prior and was it was you know a very elite offense and before that had been an elite defense. And they had some postseason uh, failures, and then they fired the coach, and then they got rid of the players. It was just, to me, it was weird. It's it's harder to find 
the kind of players that that you guys have than it is to find a coach that they can at least do what this last guy with his current guy is doing in these last couple of years. We mm-hmm. can't forget what Nick Nurse did in the postseason. And I'm the guy that once said he it's Toronto found their pop. Mm-hmm. But people change. I have, I don't know Nick Nurse. I, I think I've met him once or twice before a long time ago. He wasn't a head coach then. I have no idea about anything what's going on there in particular. I just know the team has underachieved yet again. You could always have excuses for it. But in the world that I live in, we normally change coaches before we just start getting rid of really talented players uh, when things aren't working again. That's all I was saying. If mm-hmm. I, I have, I actually have applaud getting Pirtle. And uh, if the management group, which apparently is the case, feels like once we add this one player, which was something we didn't really have at all, now let's see if, if this coaching staff can figure it out. I have no problem with that at all. Uh, my problem will start up again if in the in the offseason they start trading these guys and, and again without changing the guy and on in, in, uh, in charge. But I don't have a problem with them trying to figure it out the rest of this year. It won't matter a whole lot probably. Uh, at best, you're hoping for is to make the playoff and maybe get around. But at least it, it will be a sign that, okay, we're moving in the right direction with our current staff as is, which is always the positive. Uh, so that that's really where I was coming from on that. No, that's fair. I think that's that's just like almost standard in terms of like when teams underachieve. Um, obviously, it's a lot easier to change out the coach than change out uh, the entire roster. I understand that. I mean, when I listened to it, I, I, I didn't think that much of it uh, when I heard it on the podcast. But I think when it got clipped and shared around, I think it um, it made a you know made that impression. I suppose. I mean, I, I guess the other question I would have really in terms of that clip is just like the accountability aspect. Do you think the Raptors potentially could use like a like a I, I suppose like a tougher presence? Like if Earl was that kind of guy, or if someone else is that kind of guy, is that sort of an approach that you would look for? Well, I can only tell you I, I can't watch Toronto play typically very long because of the terrible shots that I see. They are not alone in that. Okay. And and maybe right. things have gotten better lately, I'll confess. I don't know. I, Not really. Okay. So there you go. When when players take contested shots repeatedly or, or shots that they just don't tend to make, I don't mind it so much when there are younger players trying to figure it out. I think that's you I think a good coach, if not a, a great coach, allows them some failure mm-hmm. as reference points to get better in practice the next day or on their own. Uh when I see veterans making some of those decisions repeatedly uh, and just the overall uh, lack of, I mean, the, the team is always right there and, and turnovers forced and points off turnovers and fast breaks, but, and that's a sign that they're competing, but when you don't see any change in the half court stuff that we see, especially on offense, to me, it normally screams of, 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 of players that, that aren't really necessarily following direction, which is not at all unique to Toronto. Hmm. There's, there's, Half the league is having struggles like this on and off throughout this season. As I talk to other teams around the league and coaches and players, whatever. But I do think there's an accountability issue there for whatever reason. I, I, you know, I certainly have no idea what's going on behind the scenes in Toronto. I just know that once again, it's, it's, you know, there's been a real disappointing season when, when we, we had such high expectations and normally there's, there's consequence to that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that because I think the context is also important, right? I think maybe in a general sense, like, why do you think it is that, like, you know, half the league is is struggling with the same kind of issue in terms of the accountability, in terms of getting players to sort of buy in, in terms of 
getting them on the same page. Because I think probably for a lot of people who are watching the game, they probably don't see that in the same way as obviously you who works very closely with several players and, and you know, coaches as well. You know, And why is that? Like, why can't they get, you know what I mean? Like if my boss tells me to do something, I'm I'm probably going to do it versus I think this this is a very specialized industry. Well, you don't have time for me to answer that question in full. I'm okay. probably going to do an article pretty soon, but we've been working on it for quite a while. I'll give you the cliff notes. Uh, I think there's been a real problem in, in the league at, at coaches who are just not coaching anymore uh, the way the way they used to. Uh, really getting to know players. I, I read about the head coach at OKC has breakfast or lunch once a week with um, Chet Holmgren. And to me, it was a big deal because I just don't hear that anymore. I don't, I don't think our coaches are are spending the time to develop a real connection with with our players. And and I, I you can you could claim I don't know much about basketball. That's okay, but I know about this because I'm talking to the players all the time. And when I ask them uh, kinds of questions like, you know, when did you last you know see your coach for a breakfast or a coffee or or when have they told you great job specifically about something you did or terrible job about something you did specifically? I just get blank stares or uh, um, I had one guy, one player have a great game, uh, Will, uh, on national TV, I think it was. And he did a post-game press conference afterwards and he just said the nicest things about his coach and his team and his teammates and his other coaches. And I said to him the next day, uh, this was on a phone call, not not a text. I asked him, I said, how much of what you said last night was true? And his his literal response to me was not one word. Oh, uh, okay. Th- that's that's the true story. That, that was this year. <laughs> we have an issue with that. So because of that, I think our coaches are afraid sometimes to offend their players. Uh, I can tell you from experience as a father, there's been times in my twin's life where I felt like I might have been walking a little bit on eggshells, my wife too, with coming down on them for something for lots of different reasons. And so it, it, there's never going to be a situation where it's always good, but I don't think it's often good uh, for, again, it's, it's, it would take me hours to go through all of this, but I think we need to start pivoting back to coaches, removing emotion from the equation, but still providing consequences. So you take that shot, you're coming out. I'll put you back in, but you're not going to continue to play when you take those kinds of shots. Uh, you don't help. You, you know, my, my center leaves to defend the guard attacking the rim, and then you don't crack back and take his man. So even if he doesn't block the shot, they get a tip dunk. You're coming out. Mm-hmm. I'll put you back in. I'm not quitting on you necessarily, but there's going to be consequences for your poor decisions or your poor effort or your selfishness. Uh, I just think our coaches have gotten away from that in general. And uh, specifically to Toronto, I've seen it's not like you can question the effort everywhere. But their half-court offense, as well, like I said, some of the shot shots that I've been taking game after game, uh, that sends to me a message that uh, I know the coaches know what they're doing. There's no question of that. Uh, you've got to hold the players accountable for not doing what they're asked to do. Mm, got you. Um, yeah, I definitely wanted to talk about the half-court aspect, right? Because the Raptors, as, as like a, if you think of the Raptors as a meal, they, they're, they're great appetizers, okay? They're, they're, they, they always smash it in terms of getting more shots than the opponent or getting on the offensive glass or keeping their turnovers low while keeping their opponent's turnovers high. Like there's, there's great stuff, but the main course itself kind of sucks. I mean, I I think the one stat that really kind of broke me 
uh, reading earlier this season, and I think this was about a month ago. Maybe it's it's probably changed slightly, but the the point is, a, se- a month ago, the Raptors were dead last in effective field goal percentage on offense and dead last in opponent effective field goal percentage. And this is all in the half court, right? In the transition, the Raptors are quite good. But the point is, half court is like at least 80% of the game. Um, and if you're that bad on both ends on, on an 80% of the game, there's got to be an issue. And I think for me, defensively, that's the part that's really confused me because the Raptors continue to be, you know, just below average on defense and very inconsistent on defense. I want to know, Coach, like, is well, why is the Raptors' defense so bad? Is it like, um, is it a personnel issue? Is it uh, a schematic issue? Is it an effort issue? Is it the not being together? I'm sure it's a little bit of everything, but Coach, I wanted to hear about your thoughts on why Toronto's defense has not been nearly as good as it can be. Well, I mean, you said it. Uh, didn't you say teams, as of three weeks ago or whatever, were number one in effective field goal percentage against you? Yeah. So teams are shooting a life out. There's a degree of you know luck to that, we know. I don't know how much you can revive it. They, this has been a, an issue for them in the past. Um, that tends to go to strategy. Okay, the, the roster is what it is. We, I know I, I, I'm a big believer. I like, I'm, no, I love Toronto's commitment to racing and causing chaos. I think that's great. But you also have to measure that, with, especially considering other than Scotty, really, this is now a veteran team. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we need to measure that with uh, uh, results. How, how are we doing? It's not working. There's got to be a pivot when things aren't working. One of the things I like about Ty Lu, uh, and there's a lot not to like about the Clippers season this year, but Ty's always been, I think, pretty open to just pivoting to something when, when something else isn't working. I, I don't like it when people trash. I remember years ago I went to a training camp for a team that notoriously played slow and rough and tumble kind of basketball, and the whole preseason training camp was all about uh, changing their their style and playing at a much faster pace. And I don't think they got a week into the season and the coach completely trashed it mm. and went right back to what they had always done. I don't love that. I like tweaking. I like continuing to try to grow the team. Uh, last year, as an example, as you know, I think Boston had two issues early in the season. Jason Tatum couldn't make a shot. And we wrote an article at Troop saying that his shots are great. There's nothing wrong with them. Don't trade him and him or Jalen. I think I just was a guess by me. I think he'll start making some shots. They're such great shots. And that happened, of course. And he, he was a great player. Then the other thing was the, the coach moved Robert Williams and Al Horford to start together. Horford kind of be the cut angles off, guard other team centers. Robert started guarding uh bad offensive players are the worst, the least likely offensive player to score a lot that they were facing. And that freedom up to go block a bunch of shots. Teams are doing that more now. Porzingis, for example, does that with the Wizards. Uh, they'll do that with Kessler, some in Utah. Um, those kind of changes are good. Can you think of a change? I don't know the answer to this. Can you think of a big change Toronto made in how they went about playing defense? No, I, if anything, I feel like the Raptors are trying to continue on a lot of the principles that they did well on last season. Like, there's not, it's not like there's no track record of the Raptors being good on defense with this current Correct. strategy, right? Because last season, from January onward, the Raptors Great. were, I think, top five in defense. And clearly, yeah. when you look at the personnel, it makes sense for that group. When you have a lot of athletic wings, you know, bring a lot of pressure, uh, show multiple bodies in the lane, create a lot of turnovers. 
And not only does that um, give you, you know, some defensive results, but more importantly, and I think that really sparked the Raptors in transition because they need that help to score in transition, right? Their, their half-court offense is also kind of bad. Um, this year, though, I, I do feel like, especially now that you've added Pirtle to the mix, I do wonder, can you play a little bit more differently? Because that's an element defensively that you just didn't have for the entirety of last season and the f- entirety of the first half of this season. And coach, I'm, I'm wondering, like, so one thing that you hear Nick talk about all the time is how much he likes to pressure the ball, right? A lot of ball pressure. Now, of course, when you pressure the ball a lot, you are leaving yourself open to uh, blow-bys, right? And there's a lot of, like, guys getting downhill, getting into the paint. Now, the Raptors like to scramble, and they like to show multiple bodies, as most people do on these drives. And, and that now they have a shot blocker as well in Pirtle. Do you think that they should continue to pressure the ball as much? Um, or do you think they can maybe afford to sit back a little bit now and play a little bit more solid defensively rather than playing more for essentially gambles? Okay, well, you're talking about two different things here. Okay. And let me correct you on something. I, I don't agree at all with the assessment that uh, I love what Nick Nurse does in terms of all pressure. It's one of my favorite things about okay. the Raptors. And when I was coaching, it was a big deal for me. I don't. I always used to say before it was Tom Brady, it was Joe Montana, Dan Marino, don't let the quarterback study your defense. He'll pick you apart uh, no matter what. You have to put pressure on the ball. I'm a big believer in that. So you can pressure the ball. You can, let, let me rephrase that. You cannot pressure the ball and still get blown by. In fact, I would argue, think of it this way. If, I, if I'm in a Ferrari mm. and you're standing two feet in front of me and I try to run you over or I'm 10 feet away from you, which is going to hurt worse for you? 10 feet away, I'm building yeah. up more speed, right? Yep. Yep. Um, the mistake people used to make against Tony Parker was lay off him. And then he realized, oh, he would just get a runway. He would back up even more and then zoom, go right by you. So we teach this. Every day in the gym in the summer, we're teaching that kind of Tony Parker, build that runway. Mm. So you can you can apply pressure. Uh, and yeah, there, there's certainly going to be some players that can get an angle against you. But you should have an easier time staying connected than you would if you were off to begin with and standing still. Mm. And now that guy is able to get you at full speed two steps away because that's sometimes all it takes for some of these guys. And uh, you should be just got to stay connected, which is an, a problem, I think, in Toronto. That goes to willingness to fight. Okay. And that goes often to willingness to believe in what we're doing. You got to fight to stay connected at all times. I think with Pirtle, they don't have to gamble as much because it's going to be really hard to get shots if, I think he's a very good defensive player. I would ignore what happened in San Antonio this year because mm-hmm. yeah. talk about blow-bys. There's blow-bys everywhere. And Rudy, <laughs> yeah. he, Rudy Gobert's Utah experience has shown us, so no matter who you are, if no one's staying in front of you at the point of attack and not staying connected, great. The defensive big is having a problem. The Lakers have that issue right now. No one's staying connected at all. So stay connected to your guy. Gamble a little bit less. You'll, you'll get lesser turnovers forced and therefore less points of turnovers but i think their fast break numbers will just increase because they'll they'll be creating more misses mm. and you'll get less wide open shots for the opponent at the same time so play a little more conservatively but here's the other twist that's interesting they they can play some chaos units there's nothing wrong with playing one way with your main starters top six or whatever and then kind of mucking things up with the chaos style they've been doing for years since you don't have another person to play behind Pirtle. Hmm. You can you can give a team different looks and really cause them cause them trouble. So and then you can also pick and choose when you start gambling more. For example, against a team that has a player or two that's prone to make some great mistake plays and also great mistakes, 
So so maybe unleash your gambling unit against those teams. And I guess the teams that don't turn the ball over much to begin with, well, then don't worry about trying to force them to turn over so much. Play play the, the percentage a little bit, force them to take tougher shots, and then rebound and fly. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I, that definitely makes sense because I think the Raptors now have the capability of doing both things fairly well. Um, I, I think, too, is you know, it's especially because this is such a point of emphasis for a lot of fans when they're watching these games. They get really frustrated, right? There's, there is a lot of blow-bys on the perimeter. And the way the Raptors guard the perimeter, I think, is interesting because um, a lot of the times they don't actually have Fred guarding the opposing ball handler. Sometimes they do. Like against New York, he was guarding Jalen Brunson quite a bit. Um, but you also see other games where you'll see Scotty on the opposing main ball handler, even if they are a guard rather than a wing. Um, and then, of course, you'll see OG when he's healthy doing that same role. Um, it's interesting that you don't necessarily have your guards in, in, in Fred and Gary always being the ones taking on those defensive assignments. Why do you think that is from from Nick's perspective in terms of as a as a as a you know tactical advantage? Um, and you know what do you make of that kind of strategy where you're often putting your big wings on their smaller guards on the perimeter? All right, so I'm going to answer that, but I'm, I want to first say this. Uh, Everything I'm saying to you, I, I have no doubt the Raptors uh, organization has thought of these things. For sure. I, yeah. I don't think there's any genius I have in particular regarding this these questions. Uh, as someone who, who has admitted not even watching the Raptors a ton because they're just pr- pretty much unwatchable right now, for someone like me that I don't get paid to watch that team, mm-hmm. um, they, they start winning more games, I'll pay more attention. Uh, I just don't know why they, they aren't inst- instituting something different when it's been this issue all year, although you bring a good point up. They did much better last year, but there's clearly something going on there. Uh, I, I don't know for sure if OG said something about going to Indiana, but there, but but people have told me he did. Uh, not not with the Raptors. People mm. on other franchises have said that, okay. or at least they suspected that he said it. Um, and so, I mean, I can only guess what Nick Nurse is thinking, but I I don't think he's wrong to think that by putting larger guys like Scotty or OG on ball handlers. It's like rushing the the quarterback with the defensive end as opposed to a, a cornerback hmm. or a safety, smaller guys. Okay, okay. It, it's just it's harder to get comfortable as a guard against those large men, and their whole defense is, is designed on making you uncomfortable. Right. The problem is, as we've noticed, there's more open shots than ever, and maybe it's also because – like I don't know what their shot quality defense is compared to just the EFG percentage defense. I don't know the answer. Um, but my guess is – it's probably similar. I don't, I don't think it's just some bad luck. Uh, when I have watched, I've been disappointed, and I open teams can get. And I think that can change with the presence of Pirtle, and you can have a more standard uh, a team out there, which I think is going to – I think it could help them. There's no reason to – if they're out, they are playing a little bit better. They're just – Yeah, they are. Yeah, they're but they're they're looking like a little better than average instead of a little worse than average. <laughs> and And maybe they'll get hot these last few months. That'd be great. And maybe over the break, they'll really have some time to to tinker a little bit with what they can do with Pirtle. Look, you have a little some different looks, and um, but I my guess is that, that they're thinking also Fred guarding the really quick elusive primary ball handlers is more taxing on him than than not. That's fair. That's fair. And his usage has has gone higher. I know at the start of the season he talked about. Um, being shifted off ball and all that kind of stuff, but of late, obviously he's he's definitely on ball. He's definitely um, got a pretty high usage of of late. I mean, you look at the last game, for example, against Detroit. Whatever, Gary Trent Jr. wasn't there, OG wasn't there. He was basically their only shooter. He took like twenty six shots. That was, one thing, that was one of the thing that caught my eye when you when, when you spoke about it on the podcast too, in terms of just the Raptors, you know, changing their roster around, right? And there was 
this is hardly a new topic on this show, but you know, the idea of sort of moving on from Fred in the off season, um, and, you know, if they cho- choose to do that, um, which I wouldn't be too surprised by at this point, but if they choose to do that, I, I do wonder, like, does this team not need more shooting, right? Because I think for me, offensively, one of the biggest issues is that they just don't have enough shooting around the type of players that they have. Pascal is clearly very fantastic at generating his own advantages. He's going to draw double teams. And you just want guys to be able to capitalize off of those kickouts that he's often making. And the same you could probably say for Scotty as well, although obviously he's he's a little bit later on in his development. Um, yeah, if you, if you get rid of Fred, I mean, who's who's shooting the ball? Well, the, yeah, they can't get rid of Fred and, and bring in a, a non-shooting primary ball handler. That would be a mistake because now you've got Siakam's okay shooting three. I don't remember what he's shooting this year, but what is he, 35%? He was uh, up there, and then I think he went through a bit of a cold stretch over the the, the road trip. Where it, honestly, just watching him, he looked really exhausted from playing. You know, yeah. forty minutes a night, and uh, his percentage just dropped. So right now he's at thirty four on the season. Yeah, so thirty four. Okay, yeah. so yeah, I, I said thirty five. Yeah, Barnes obviously is a weak shooter. You can't have another one out there, and, and Pirtle doesn't shoot, so that's not even yeah. an option. But that there's no reason the executives are going to bring in a point guard that can't shoot. There's plenty that can. Uh, I, I mean, and, and I don't even know what their starting fives net rating is, but uh, when I look at that team, it's the lack of depth that is their single biggest problem. Mm, okay. I mean, I, I don't know that they're – that you may think Coloco is going to grow into a player. I was high on Malachi Flynn. doesn't seem like that's working out great. Um, but they've got to develop – like they, we know what the starters are. They have to develop a second unit. Uh, it, just, it just hasn't happened. But um, – it wouldn't surprise me at all. That's become something they really focus on. And if they were to move Fred, if they, they found a, a less dynamic point guard and a more just quality shooter, not turn the ball over guy, uh, and in return get back multiple guys that can fill out that roster mm. in that rotation, that, that's not a bad move. Because Siakam and Barnes are both very dynamic wing forwards that can accomplish what that primary ball handler would do as a passer. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's that sort of speaks to like the Raptors' general team strategy, right? Like they they've been trying to build in this sort of direction where it's it's all wings, and um, you know, you you do have two of the key elements there, and probably the hardest ones to find is is those wing, you know, creators. Like I like Pascal, for example, which is very very hard to find, right? And, and you yeah. have the harder part down. Now it's about finding the complementary pieces around them, right? Sliding the salaries around them. The depth issue is interesting because at, at least now adding Pertle in fully healthy, I, I believe. I mean, there's definitely at least seven guys that you would trust in that rotation now, right? Gary, Fred, OG, Precious, who's come on strong in the second half of the season, Scotty, Pascal, and then Jakob, right? So, like, you, you have a decent number of players. I do wonder, though, like, when you look at this roster, and I think that it's probably a function of the way they designed it, but does it, is it not screaming out for just a little bit more guard play? Yeah, you're you're lucky to have the kind of wings that you have that, that can – handle that responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's something about, you know, having a bunch of guards that can slither around people, uh, can make plays themselves and others a little bit better, get wide open shots and not just everything kind of going into the lane or uh, Pascal's second box jumper, his little paint jumper is really good. There's not, they don't have a lot of, uh, of, of him, uh, other than him, they don't have a lot of that. Um, uh, I think that, you know, uh, I'm always reminded uh, this year, I think about how we laughed about the, at the Sacramento Kings for so long, and now they're a three seed. Like, things can change so fast. Sure, People yeah. hammered them for trading 
uh, Tyrese for for Hallop, for uh, Sabonis, and um, it's worked out great for one team for sure. Everyone thinks it works out great for the Pacers. Tyrese is an All Star. Meanwhile, they stink right mm-hmm. now. They're really struggling, and um, uh, Sabonis is going to be an All NBA player. I, I think I think he's get third third team. We still have to finish the season, and they're a, they're a legit three seed, and their offense is destroying people. Things can change fast. They change coaches. Look what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Again, not suggesting that Raptors do that. I'm only suggesting they do that before they get rid of all these other players. Right. And then we have to look at player development in general. You know, you said, Will, you said find a few more guys. Well, I, I don't see that. I talk about developing a few more guys. I think that that's a big difference between the the, the bad teams, the good teams, and the great teams, the elite teams, is they develop their they develop more guys that can be rotational players and those are and that's also the cheapest way to do it yeah and and that and you know that's that's an interesting aspect too because obviously i know um you know your life has been dedicated to to player development in particular um and you know i think the raptors definitely have a strong reputation for that especially look at some of the guys on the roster right now og fred yep pascal scotty precious like a lot of these guys here or even gary for example i don't even think of him as a blazer anymore i think he's been pretty firmly entrenched here but like these guys, the Raptors have brought them into the um, you know program and really, really expanded upon their games. But at, at sometimes I do wonder about like how much more they can do at the margins, right? Because you know I think there's certain teams that you really look at. Miami's a clear one. Like I'm watching the game last night, and you know maybe that's just my fault for not watching Miami as closely. But some of the guys in the rotation who was coming off the bench and doing stuff like uh, like like Jamari Buya, who yeah, I, I, that, I, ten day guy. Right, like he comes in and and he had some really nice contributions off the bench, and I'm thinking, wow, I haven't seen that kind of quality guard play off of Toronto's bench. Who is this guy? Right, um, and and you know, obviously Miami, the way they build it, they're another great um, you know roster in terms of I think half their roster is like is uh, uh, undrafted players as well. Like they just bring them into their system, and somehow it starts to work. And I do wonder, like, if the Raptors have to find more opportunities for some of these other guys and the end of the bench guys who you take a flyer on them, but they actually crack your rotation. I just, it's been a while since the Raptors have done that. And I do wonder about that aspect of player development. Well, Miami, I mean, they did with Duncan Robinson was, was who follows their G league team. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that to me, the G league is the most underutilized uh, asset that the NBA teams have. I, I watched, I watched G league games relatively frequently mm-hmm. and, um, I'm mortified at what I see. I think a lot of coaches they hire don't know what they're doing. I, I, I'm not looking for any of these jobs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's for sure. Um, but uh, the, the G League coaches that really coach the guy at Long Island, uh, uh, fantastic. Um, there's been a, there's a few guys that have really caught my eye uh, that that really do a good job, and I think that matters as well as the staff. Which I don't know who the staff is all the time, but you can see players getting better. Buya was on a 10 day from, uh, and I don't know if he played the Sioux Falls team or not. I wouldn't be surprised if he did um, because they tend to like to promote from within. Mm-hmm. But that's where Spolstra is really good, uh, if not the best. But in general, uh, this is, if you're looking at the, fra- the the Raptors as a franchise, to me, I know Masai, because we've talked about it years ago, yep. uh, values that part of it very much so. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's because he spent some time with me when he first got to America uh, looking for work, not not because he went to school in America long ago um he just knows it's important to me and he, i think it's important to him and you got to play him though it doesn't really matter what the g league team does if they don't get an opportunity to play with the big team right and uh 
we all know what the minutes issues. I haven't looked lately at what the Raptors' minutes issues were. Oh, it's the same. Now, but the last time I looked, it was pretty alarming. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Playing too. too much. Yeah, I mean that, and that's where I, I do I do feel for coaches because I think there's definitely on one hand this like huge imperative and huge pressure to be like you got to win all the time. You got to win the next game. You got to win the game after that. And you got to really like continue to build on the winning that you did last season, right? Everyone loved what you did last year. Now win 50 games with this roster, right? We're not going to change the roster too much, but win 50 games with it now. And it's like, you know, there is that kind of pressure, but at the same time, you also do expect them to show that patience towards any of the bench guys who, you know, in Nick's defense, you know, he'll try to give like Christian Coloco some minutes here or there or, or Delano Banta some minutes here or there. And it's just, it doesn't really work out. You know what I mean? Like, so, you know, it, it is, it is, I'm, I'm I do sympathize with the coaches in that front because on one hand, you're you're being asked to squeeze every single drop you have out of this roster, but at the same time, you're also asked to develop these guys. And um, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's a push and pull, really. But I, I, I do wonder, like for a team like Miami, for example, who they're able to find these guys all the time, is it such that like they just have a system that really makes sense where you can kind of just plug and play with guys within that system and that makes it the transition a little bit easier for them to sort of fill in and replace for other guys? And is that system, you know, if that is the reason, or part of the reason, does Toronto also have a similar blueprint for that? So I'll give you the easiest answer I can give you, which is it's not about the system. It's about teaching players how to play. It's a, it's a cliche okay. we hear all the time, but it actually has meaning. Um, the, the mistake I made many years ago when, when I first kind of invented, in the sense, skill development as a business, uh, back in, I think, 1993, I started it, charging you know, $25 an hour for high school kids. Um, that's people only did it for, you know, uh, tennis and golf in America anyway, that we're Mm -hmm. aware of. Um, I didn't brand it right. I didn't call myself skill development or shooting coach. I, I, I just didn't really talk about the fact that I'm just trying to, I'm trying to be a game developer. I'm trying to develop your overall game. We worked on setting screens. We Mm -hmm. worked on reading screens off the ball and on the ball, both offense and defense. And we talked about, uh, not just attacking dribble moves, but pressure release trouble moves so that at the very least I won't be a turnover machine. And I, you know, I was trying to help players either get scholarships at the highest level, which I was lucky enough to do a lot of, but we also helped a lot of young people just make their teams that right. when they got cut as JV players. And I would tell them, if you can guard your position, if you're in great shape and not turn the ball over, you're probably going to make your team. Now getting in the game is different. Now we got to start adding some offensive firepower or maybe a bunch of steals and blocks. If you're a big guy, that I don't think that's something that we see a lot in the G League. There's worrying about getting guys to play their system right. What's the, what, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? And they might be doing some skill development in general, but it's not applicable to how they play. They're still taking terrible shots, taking terrible angles, ball watching too much on defense, uh, hab- habitually going under screens against great shooters instead of recognizing what's going on or or not rebounding. I, I I have players I'm helping now, literally now, that use their arms to block their guy out. Well, how do you rebound? As I tell them, how can you rebound when your arms are wrapped up around the guy behind you? You're not a seal. You can't just balance the ball on your nose. Yeah, You've got to have your hands up and out, ready to go get it. You, I know you feel comfortable holding them, even if they don't call a foul. You can't do it and rebound. So that is... That is a skill that has to be worked on, but it's not sexy. And so most guys just aren't doing it or girls aren't doing it. And so I think that this is a, a real epidemic we have, uh, it, not just in, the, in, the, in this country, but I follow the whole world, 
We're so focused on teaching tricks, we forget to teach how to play the game. And every young coach in any organization would best serve their head coach, Nick Nurse, wherever, Mm -hmm. in every situation. Help your guys understand how to play better basketball, how to read, how to time things up, how to think. uh, And then, of course, just how to be more professional on a day-to-day basis, when to train, when to rest, that kind of stuff. That's the best way to serve the franchises, I think. Yeah. No, that's 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 a that's a great perspective, Coach. And um, yeah, you know this is this is why we keep bringing you on because I I think that these are things that just most people just don't consider. Like essentially, the how players are made. You know, we think about this guy doesn't work out, let's switch it out. This coach doesn't work out, let's switch it out. You know what I mean? And there's like a so much of this is is that there's a development aspect to it. And you know, if you're going to be truly successful and successful in a sustainable and um, you know, repeatable way. Like you absolutely need to nail those things. Like even Masai, when he first came here, one of the first things he really wanted to do was bring a G League franchise to Toronto. Um, yeah. He brought it and he put it just like literally 20 minutes down the road on the highway um, yeah. in Mississauga. And the purpose of that is so that you can have these opportunities where sometimes you'll see, like I saw over the weekend, um, the Raptors played a game, the 905 played a game in, in Mississauga in the morning. And then I saw those same players warming up for the game. In on Friday, I think it was Friday when the Raptors lost to Utah, and and that's where that development needs to happen. Yep. Of course, if the Raptors continue to get more of those guys, then you know if a guy like Jeff Dowden works out, if a guy like Ron Harper Jr. works out, even if it, a guy like Christian Coloco starts to work out, all of a sudden your roster gets a lot deeper and you you look yep. a lot more complete. But it's a lot better to do that than to even go out and 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 spend a first round pick for a guy like Jakob Pertl because even though Jakob is a very good player, and the Raptors developed him in the first place. Um, you know, you don't want to be giving up those kind of assets. That's 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 when you get into more dangerous territory as a, as an executive. But, Coach, I appreciate your time. Um, thank you for, you know, coming on once again. And, um, you know, best of luck. Everyone go listen to True Who Podcast. Um, you know, every – how often do you guys do it? Like, it's it's always on every Friday and Monday, I see. Is there is there a midweek yeah, episode we do, as well? Right, we typically do Mondays and Thursdays, and then we'll publish a couple articles a week. Right. We, we I just did a newsletter – uh, today we just got it out. So we do a couple of newsletters a week and then we do our pods on Mondays and Thursdays typically. All right. What's, what's today's newsletter? I haven't uh, checked my email yet. I uh, basically, you know, we do the championship bus. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Henry Abbott asked me, our founder asked me, uh, to kind of, you know, who's on the bus, who, who really has any shot at all, uh, to win and who, and who's off the bus. Like I took the Pelicans off the bus. I don't care when Zion comes back. It's too late. They're just not going to suddenly gel yeah, this is and a point. Beat the, enough teams. Yeah. All right, interesting. Uh, I, I'm I'm scrolling through this bus right now. I see the Phoenix Suns are on the bus. Uh, although I don't know, you didn't you didn't you didn't sound that enthusiastic about the trade. I think everyone else yeah. is definitely like, oh my god, they got KD. I'm I'm definitely one of those people as well. But and I think from, I was listening to your show and you were like, well, you know, they did give up quite a bit to to do this. So they, you still got to play defense in this league, yeah. and uh, uh, which I wrote about. But they're on the bus, though. We're, we're going to give them a chance to see how they grow. Yeah, fair enough. All right, coach. Thank you for your time. Appreciate you. Thank you. Okay, we are going to take a quick break right here. I've been your host, Walu, and you've been listening to The Raptors Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Have you checked out Bet Rivers yet? Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. Get in the action this basketball season with thousands of betting options. Plus, don't forget about Bet Rivers Sportsbook award winning customer service. It's a whole new game with Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook. Must be 19 plus. Available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at 1 866 531 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge.
Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sports and Radio Network. I'm your host, Wim Lou. Joined by... Producer and co-host Alex Wong in the second segment here. What's going on, Alex? I see uh, <laughs> I see the rundown is 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 chock full of topics as we as we crash our way to the last uh, ten minutes of this program. Yeah, it's immaculate. Great chat with David Thorpe. So did he just subtly throw in the fact that OG wanted to go to Indiana? Is that what he said? Uh, did I hear it right? Yeah, it was a per sources, I suppose. It was kind of yeah. like, yeah, I heard a hearsay kind of thing. Don't aggregate it. Please don't. No, aggregate. no, no. We're not going to aggregate don't it. Don't aggregate it. I just thought I would point it I'll out. I'll do that to coach, man. Come on. Come on, Legion Hoops, yeah. if you're listening. Yeah. Um, no, that was interesting. I think the Nick Nurse conversation was interesting, too. I th- it was more fair. Because the thing is, we weren't going to come on and be like, let's 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 have him gone, right? Well, this mm-hmm. is, I wanted to have a discussion on the coaching aspect in terms of like, what can we do with this roster? You know, um, I thought the accountability thing was interesting. I think his perspective is cool too, because obviously David, he doesn't like to talk about like all the people that he works with in the, in the league, but there's, there's, you know, quite a few number of clients. Um, and so I think he has a good perspective and a good sense in terms of like what's going on elsewhere. Right. And I think when we're looking at this team every single day over and over again, we think of the Raptors problems as their own rather than as something that's like more like universal, and in the league, especially when he talked about it, I'm like, yeah, I, I mean, there probably is like an accountability issue in the league as a whole. You know what I mean? I'm sure lots of coaches are struggling with this. So it was good to even get that kind of perspective. Um, and then, yeah, talking strategy, talking uh, Jamari Buya, who's my, now my new favorite player in the league. Oh, man. Yeah, that's a good who he played for Bro, character. Um, there's no way, man. No, the, no, the next thing. Sounds like an SNL skit. Man. The next thing was cool because, you know, like you mentioned, uh, you know, Coach Thorpe saying it's not – you know, unique to Toronto, like this situation of maybe coaches having trouble mm-hmm. communicating with players and stuff. I do always find it interesting, and I don't know if it's because Nick has obviously won a championship here. He's got a he's got a resume and a pedigree here. Yeah, of course. Like I do feel like that should be more of a conversation, just in, in terms of looking at whether he is the right fit as the coach, like going forward for this next iteration. Sure. Right? I mean, I think too is just like my thing is not even directed at uh, Nick. Yeah. Like we can pick at Nick, but it's like. You know, I look at like the 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 tenures of coaches in the NBA. Like, there's just a certain life cycle to these yeah. things, too, right? Like, as rosters change, as your objectives change, as the key guys on your team change. Like, if you're not able to mesh with those guys, or if the team feels like another coach and other voices needed, sometimes there's just an expiry date on these things. Right. As you listen here in the rundown, the longest serving uh, head coach in the league, obviously, is Greg Popovich yeah. since 1996. Damn, right. Yeah. Eric Spolstra. 2008 yeah steve kerr 2014 michael malone 2015 mike budenholzer 2018 say say his name properly come on who budenholzer Budenholzer. (laughs) mike budenholzer uh 2018 dwayne casey uh june 11 2018 beat nick by three days and then nick nurse (laughs) june 14 2018 so i mean like three of these coaches uh, uh bud was also hired uh just a, a month previous in in to that in the uh yeah. offseason of 2018 yeah so. no nick's nick's the seventh longest tenure coach yeah and but the it's way actually you put tied it, for f- uh for fifth really no outside of bud Dwayne, and nick you can say basically every coach that's been hired since 2018 is no longer with the team yes absolutely right yeah, like yeah. that's a five-year 
window of basically every team in the NBA that's turned over their coach. Yeah, no, Obviously true. outside it's, of the Spurs, Heat, and Warriors, but it's like sometimes it's part of it. I think it's on Nick. You yeah. know, when you think about like, you know, his, his coaching style, how he's reaching his players. But sometimes, again, Toronto's not unique to this. And maybe sometimes we put Toronto on this like unique pedestal yeah, because yeah. the way we think about the front office, the way we think about the synergy between the front office and the coaches and things like that. But these are problems that every organization faces. So yeah. I just feel like it's a, it's actually a pretty natural and normal conversation to have about Nick Nurse's future. That's fair. Especially given the team's struggles this season. All right. What do you got for me? Valentine's day updates. Oh, right. So happy Valentine's day to everyone. Hard pivot. Um, Super hard. Pivot. Some <laughs> said skirt. I got, I got, um, yeah. So, there were a few people that asked because during the summer there was a, a Raptor Show listener yes. who was traveling uh, into Toronto and, and wanted to do an in-arena proposal for tonight's game. Right, right, right. A Valentine's and Day. And we said we would try to hook it up. Well, we said, first of all, we said just like do anything better than go to a Raptors Magic game yeah. on Valentine's Day. Well, look at us. we're excited. We're going to Raptors game. Magic on well, Valentine's we Day. We are. Going <laughs> to love that BOGO tonight. Oh, um man. But yeah, so uh, the fan did actually reach out to me last week mm. and, you know, I, I tried uh, through various channels to try to see if there was a way to, to get this, uh, make this happen. And wow, unfortunately, okay. you know, struck out on that front. All right. Um, so he's got other proposal plans, which I guess in case, you know, uh, him and uh, his partner are listening, you know, we shouldn't, you know, reveal yeah, too much. So wouldn't want wouldn't want to ruin this uh, special life moment you yeah know, one that i've experienced and yeah. you know you will experience one day yeah. <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> next topic no, man. uh what else happy 11 year anniversary of jeremy lynn's <laughs> yes. game winner against speaking the of anniversaries of life uh -huh. moments you know uh it's the 11th 11 year anniversary oh man of jeremy lynn's game winner mm. against the toronto raptors yeah um, that's the story yeah. of, uh, of you missing this game, I think. To I go was at the white spot. This is a burger spot in Vancouver. Damn. Yeah, so. Happy uh, Valentine's Day. Here's a burger. <laughs> you know, Here's how, a nothing burger. Was, oh, my goodness. I was talking about Nick Nurse's future, less dark. Um, Speaking of burgers. By the way, Raptors are, are looking for their first win on Valentine's Day at home since uh, 2007. God, not damn. that they've played at home yeah, yeah, every still, day, wow, okay. like every year. All right. Dude, this is thanks to the, you know, Sportsnet stats and info team. Mm. So what about you, this other one here? Would you like to hear about Pascal Siakam's uh, new partnership? I, I, I did. That's why with, I said with, speaking of burgers. With the, with the prestige uh, restaurant McDonald's. So McDonald's saw it in my inbox today. They're announcing a new Siakam Swirl McFlurry that's going to be available mm. for the next month until... Uh, March 13th, and it's going to feature a uh, rich and creamy vanilla soft serve, decadent hot fudge, and crushed red Smarties. Mm. And did you know that when uh, Pascal had McDonald's for the very first time, the first thing that he tried, first menu item was the McFlurry. Mm. So, cap, but... Um, <laughs> you think but, that's cap? <laughs> yeah, somehow I do think it is. Yeah. But, you know, I think this is just a great collaboration because of the swirl aspect. The spin move, like, oh, okay. I, I feel like it was time to monetize the spin move yeah. beyond the fact that he's making the max. But, like, right. this was the way to do it. You, you I, know, I'm really happy you about know they, this. You know, McDonald's collab with a lot of uh, a lot of celebrities, you know, like uh, uh, Cardi B, I believe. Yeah. Uh, Megan Stallion. Um, Travis Scott on just, like, picking their meals, right? Mm -hmm. Like, having their meals. What would the Will Lou meal be very quickly? Uh, junior Chicken and... 
what chicken chicken and small <laughs> fries actually is pretty consistent. Yeah, that's it. No, I'm never going to sit down for a whole meal, but for a little right, snack right, on the right. way home from the office here, I will do okay, that. Okay, okay. Yeah. Respect that. And now it's time for Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. As we mentioned, the Raptors are hosting the Orlando Magic tonight in the last game before the All-Star break. Raptors are minus seven, seven-point favorites. OG Ananobi, Otto Porter are both out. Precious Achua is questionable with a right ankle sprain. Gary Trent Jr. also questionable with a left calf sprain. Out for Orlando. Uh, Cole Anthony is questionable. Uh, Jonathan Isaac is out. Raptors looking to avoid losing three in a row to Orlando. Remember that sweep in Orlando earlier this season? Well, the last time the Raptors were swept by Orlando, they won the championship. So actually, I, I, oh, it's not the worst thing. No. Um, that's, Seven a lot point of, that's a lot of points, man. That's really? a lot of points. I feel like you've been saying that a lot about the Raptors lately. I said you it about the Utah game, and you, technically I was right. You don't feel very comfortable with the Raptors, it appears. Here's the thing. Um, Orlando's playing a lot better of late. Uh, mm. I believe they're 18 and 14 in the last, like, 30-odd games. Or so, yeah. so they had a really slow start this season. It was yeah. like, okay, they're going to be bad again. They're pretty good. Um, the Raptors obviously have handed them two of those losses during that stretch. So um, I, I think – or sorry. They, two of they those were, wins. Yeah. Two of those wins. But yeah, yeah. This is a really tough team. They have a lot of rim protection. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the Raptors have some more size now. Hopefully, Jacoproto could not pick up six fouls in, in 12 minutes again and, and be mm-hmm. in the game because you'll need him for this one. And I just think that the one of the ways that you see teams beating Orlando consistently is can you shoot the three well enough? And right now, the Raptors only have, like, if, if OG's not going and OG is not going and yeah, Gary is out. questionable. If, yeah, questionable. Uh, I don't know if we're hitting enough threes to beat Orlando because, uh, you know, <laughs> they actually have a lot of physical wing defenders to sort of throw at some of the Raptors guys. Mm. So um, I'm skeptical about this game. I'm okay. not going to lie. Okay. So. I just I respect Orlando, man. They played them really hard. I saw them beat the Celtics up a couple times as well. Okay, let's uh let's go with the uh, magic plus seven. Mm. Uh, see how that goes. That was uh by the way, uh, Orlando though, if you're looking to bet, they have the worst record in the oh, league this season okay. in the second half of back-to-back games. It's very relevant. One and nine, coming off a win yesterday against the Bulls, but that was between the lines. Brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. What a season, man! I'm gonna wrap up the unofficial first half with a home game against Orlando on Valentine's Day. Can't wait. Seems appropriate. I, I can't wait. Happy Valentine's Day to everyone out there. Um, to those who celebrate. Yeah, to those who celebrate. To those who work at the Raptors game, happy Valentine's Day on February the 15th, which is what I'm going to be doing. But that does it for us today. Oh. I'm your host, Walu, and you've been listening to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Thanks once again to David Thorpe, our producer and co-host, Alex Wong, our board producer, Derek Brandown, Jennifer Rolnick for helping with the YouTube stream. And we'll be back to talk to you tomorrow.